Well, we are going through a series right now called The In-Between, and it's all about uh, King David before he was ever king. He's in between the time that he killed Goliath and was anointed by Samuel to be king, and then the time that he actually was the king. And during this time, he's mostly just running from King Saul, who saw the writing on the wall, didn't want to give up the throne, and was trying to kill David for most of the time. But this week we're going to talk about being in between two people. Have you ever been in between two people who were in conflict and you were caught in the middle? I remember one time when I was just first married to Sarah Beth. Were we married or were we engaged? I think we were newlyweds. We worked at the Wesley Foundation at, at, at Valos Estate and we took the college students on some kind of trip. I don't even remember where we went. But on the way back from this trip, Sarah Beth was driving the van. And one of our students named Andy, good old Andy Unger, was drive was uh, in control of the music. He was our DJ for that for that trip. And so he's sitting here playing the music on his iPod and, and we're just having a good old time. Well he plays one song by Kelly Clarkson that Sarah Beth loves. I mean she's Kelly Clarkson's her favorite. So she was singing along, and then she said, let's listen to more Kelly Clarkson. I don't want to listen to the rest of this album. Well, Andy was in charge of the music, and he said, I don't want to listen to more Kelly Clarkson. We, we're changing it up. We're, this is for everybody in the band. And Sarah Beth said, no, I'm driving, and I want to hear Kelly sing more of her great songs. And so she got so mad, and Andy said, no. This is, everybody else has to listen to it. We don't want to listen to all Kelly Clarkson all the time. And they had this fight in the van about what we were going to listen to. Well, I'm over here in the passenger seat. And I knew enough about being married to know that even though your wife is dead wrong, and she was dead wrong, <laughs> that I couldn't take sides with Andy Younger over my, my wife. I just couldn't do it. But... But if I, if I back Sarah Beth up on this, then everybody else in the van was going to hate me. So I did what any self-respecting husband would do. I pretended to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and just acted like I was out. What do you think, Matt? <laughs> I'm trying to sell this being asleep because I could not, I couldn't do it. Uh, I just couldn't take sides with either one of those things. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty funny example, but there have been other times in my life when I've been in between people that I loved who were in conflict, and, and it hurt, man. It, it's, it's a tough time. You can be lonely and isolated and no fun. You know, like if, you're, if your parents don't get along with your spouse and, and there's constant choosing sides, you love all those people, but... But man, it's not hard. My parents get along with my spouse just fine. That, that's a hypothetical example. Uh, but, you know, these, these times when you're in between people that you care about and those people are at each other's throats, man, that is difficult. Well, Jonathan, Saul's son, was in the spotlight crazy. Right? Jonathan and David were best friends. Jonathan had actually pledged this covenant to David. 
He went all overboard. He, he, he loved David so much that he, he entered into a covenant relationship with him, the scripture says. Now, in these Old Testament times, this covenant relationship is a big deal. It's not just a, uh, you know, a friendship bracelet that you wear. Uh, covenant, the, the word for covenant faithfulness in Scripture is chesed. And I learned about this word from my, my favorite Old Testament scholar, uh, Sandra Richter. And she defines chesed as the term for loyalty, covenant loyalty in Scripture. This term appears so often in the Old Testament that an array of terms are used to translate it. Love, loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness, etc. But the best translation of this term is simply covenant faithfulness. This is the type of loyalty that comes from blood. It is what the firstborn owes his father. She says that, that a covenant relationship forms what she calls a fictive kinship. And it's that when you enter into a covenant relationship with another person, it is as if that person is your family, is your blood. And you owe them what you owe to your blood. And, and Jonathan and David had entered into this kind of relationship. They pledged loyalty to each other. They're like brothers in this covenant relationship. And he wants to be, he wants to, Jonathan wants to uphold this covenant relationship with David because he loves David. But the other thing is that as much as he has a fictive kinship relationship with David, he has an actual kinship relationship to his own dad. And, and the father's house in scripture is, is no light thing either. Their whole society, their whole culture was based upon what goes on in your father's house. Your inheritance comes through your father's house. The law just depends on what goes on in the father's house. And not only was Saul Jonathan's father, Saul was also Jonathan's king. His loyalty culturally goes to Saul in every single way. And yet here he is pledging covenant, chesed, faithfulness to David. And so now he's in a situation where Saul and David are at each other's throats. Well, Saul's at David's throat. David's just trying to get away. So in chapter 20 of, of, this, of 1 Samuel, David goes to Jonathan and says, Hey, dude, I think your dad's trying to kill me. Uh, uh, David had married Saul's daughter. And so not only is Saul throwing spears at David, but he's sending David on these increasingly difficult, life-threatening missions to go. And, and he, he wants to, to, to kill David in battle or he wants to murder David himself. But David's like, I'm beginning to think your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, my dad wouldn't kill you. You're his son-in-law. You're my best friend. My dad wouldn't do that. He's just a little wacky. And so they devise this plan to see if Saul is really serious about killing David or not. And, and I, I think it's understandable that Jonathan would love to see these two men who he both has this loyalty to 
get along together. It's, it's pretty reasonable that he would want that. And so they devise this plan. They, they arrange for this family meal on a holiday. And David will intentionally miss supper. He'll miss the family supper. And Jonathan will come up with some lame excuse why David's not there. And they'll judge Saul's reaction. And if Saul has a good reaction, then they'll say, well, that probably means that he's not trying to kill David. But if Saul goes off the deep end and loses it, then they'll know that he's got this built-up tension and that Saul really is trying to kill David. And then they develop this like really complicated system for the secret message to come. And at a point in time, uh, uh, Jonathan will go out and do archery practice and he'll shoot an arrow and he'll send a kid after the arrow. And if he says, come on back, kid, don't worry about that arrow, then Dan, that's David's signal to come on back into the house. Saul's not trying to kill him. But if he says, go on, kid, keep looking for that arrow, go further out, then that is David's signal to run away. All right, so, so that is the, the system that they've devised. This is what they're doing. So in the midst of all this planning, Jonathan renews his commitment to David. And that's where our scripture is going to pick up. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or on the third day, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But if my father intends to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away so that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the faithful love of the Lord. But if I die, never cut off your faithful love from my house. Even if the Lord were to cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Thus, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Jonathan made David swear again by, the love, by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own life. This is the word to God. So, Jonathan, way back when David killed Goliath, had sworn this, this oath of loyalty to him, this covenant. And rather than back out of that, rather than just say, oh, I don't know about this covenant stuff, this is, things are getting too dicey with you and my dad, Jonathan renews his covenant with David. He, he strengthens this covenant with David. It just shows how much David and Jonathan love each other. crazy that would do, Jonathan would do this. Because think about it. King of Israel. That makes Jonathan the prince of Israel. Right? Which means that one day, when Saul dies, Jonathan will then become the next king. That's how kings usually work, especially in the ancient world. Jonathan, in this moment, cannot have, have forgotten about the fact that David had been anointed by Samuel. He can't have forgotten the fact that people are going around chanting David's name everywhere. It's, it's, it's hard to understate how unusual this covenant is. Because when, when may the Lord deal with David's enemies, he 
knows that his father very well could be one of those enemies. That he and his family, his own flesh and blood family, might end up on the wrong end of a fight with David. Which means that if David prevails in that fight and becomes the king that he's anointed to be, Jonathan is going to lose out on the throne himself. Not only does he pledge friendship to David, he's renewing his covenant to David. And it's not something you break easily. And all he asks in return is to be looked after. I don't know if you've watched any, any shows, you know, like your Game of Thrones type of shows or books, where people are fighting over a throne. But this is not how they usually behave. Usually they scheme and they fight and they work to try to gain an upper hand over the people that might claim the throne. Instead of pledging covenant faithfulness to them. And that would have made perfect sense for David once he became king to then go and kill Jonathan and his family and his kids. Because those folks had a legitimate claim to it. But David's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take care of your kids. I'm going to take care of your family. These folks are prioritizing their relationship with each other over their own best interests. It's crazy. So they go through with their plan. Shows up to dinner. David doesn't show up to dinner. Saul loses his mind. And they get Saul's reaction. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Did I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Now sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered his father Saul and said, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul threw his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that it was the decision of his father to put David to death. It feels like they ought to get some intern in there to take Saul's spears away from him. So they can't attempt murder against the people and his family anymore. So now Jonathan has a choice. He knows that Saul wants David dead. And, and frankly, he's right. It is in Jonathan's own best interest to sell David out to Saul. He knows as long as the son of Jesse is alive, you and your kingdom are at risk. You're not going to sit on the throne if David lives. And the thing is, Jonathan's in this perfect spot, right? David trusts him. If, if he wants to claim the throne, this is his moment to do it. He can go and he can shoot his arrow and he can say, come on back, David. Everything's fine. Everything's safe. And David will come bobbing back into the kingdom and then Saul will have him killed. And then Jonathan gets to be king. It's the perfect opportunity. And not only that, but think about how many dad points Jonathan would score. Saul would be all about that. He would say, thanks, son. You've done my spy work for me. You've done the hard part. You've gotten John, the David to trust us, and now we, we are good. So, so he scores points with his dad. He secures his future legacy as king. And all he has to do 
is not be faithful to the covenant that he established with David. All he has to do is trick David into coming back. And like I said earlier, if this was any other story about power and kings and ancient thrones, I have no doubt that this would happen. If this was Greek mythology, you know that David would be tricked, that Jonathan would have lied. But he didn't do it. Jonathan went back to David and sent him the signal to run and was faithful to the covenant that he made with David. And so he shot the arrow, he told the kid to keep running, and he gave David the signal to run, but David couldn't do it. I mean, he, could, he just couldn't run without having one last secret meeting with his best friend. That happens in chapter 20, verses 41 and 42. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. I think, I think David knew what Jonathan was giving up in order to make this plan happen. He prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times and then kissed each other and wept with each other. <coughs> David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. David got up and left, and Jonathan went into the city. David and Jonathan didn't see much of each other after that. David was on the run. Jonathan stayed in his father's house. But their love for each other and their dedication to each other remained in place. Later on, after Jonathan died, David did take care of Jonathan's children. Even though it might come back to bite him. David did the right thing by staying true to his covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan gave up everything to stay true <laughs> to his covenant with David. So I think we've got to ask ourselves something. Why in the world didn't Jonathan just sell David out? What could have possibly caused him to go against his own self-interest so much, give up his claim to the throne of Israel in order to be loyal to David? Why did he love David so much that he sacrificed everything for him? And I don't know the answer to that question for sure, but I can sure speculate. And I, if I had to guess, I'd say there were a couple of factors at play. I think the first thing is, I think Jonathan knew that God is more interested in our faithfulness than he's interested in our success. Right? It could have been easy for Jonathan to say, well, I can serve God so much better as king than I can uh, being loyal to David. I'll just do this one thing. I'll just stab David in the back one time, and I'll spend the rest of my life as a successful king being faithful to the Lord. But Jonathan knew that God is more interested in, the, in, in our faithfulness than in our success. And so instead of trying to game out how he could be more successful in the world's eyes, he focused on how he could be faithful to the calling that God was giving him and the calling that God was giving his best friend. And God used Jonathan's faithfulness to bless Israel tremendously. 
The thing is, it was hard in the short term. It asked a lot of him then. But faithfulness in relationship to God and in relationship to others will always pay off for us in the end. That chesed love, that covenant faithfulness is the way God calls us to go through our lives. He calls us to go through lives in faithfulness to God, receiving God's covenant faithfulness to us and extending that faithfulness in our relationships with others. Because I think the second thing Jonathan knew was that Jonathan knew that you cannot navigate the in-betweens of your life alone. God calls us for relationship. And when you come across a deep spiritual friendship like the one David and Jonathan had, you don't just throw that away. We need friends to support us who are following after God. We need friends who are looking out for what the Spirit of God is doing. We need friends that we can trust to have our backs like Jonathan and David had each other's backs. And that chesed, covenant relationship. That's why it's important for us to cultivate spiritual friendships. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is, is uh, you know, John Wesley had these discipleship bands that he encouraged people to do. Actually, he required them to do it. <laughs> he didn't just encourage them. But it was three or four people that got together and asked each other hard spiritual questions. I've got a band like that in my life with friends from seminary. And I can't imagine going through life without those guys now. That's something that I think God is calling us in the church to do for each other. Band together. Enter into covenant relationships with each other and have each other's back. We cannot navigate the in-between below. But I think the biggest reason that David sold out his own self-interest in order to throw in his lot with David, I think the reason that Jonathan made this sacrifice was because ultimately, Jonathan knew that the Spirit of God was with David and not with Saul. He knew that God had anointed David and that the anointing had left his own father. And Jonathan was willing to follow where the Spirit of God was leading, even if it meant that the Spirit of God was leading him away from his own father even if he knew that the Spirit of God was leading him away from his own chances of being king. Jonathan lived out in real life John Wesley's covenant prayer. If you haven't heard of this covenant prayer, man, it's a hard prayer to pray. I, I've printed it up in your bulletin. It's on an insert. You can look at that. But listen to the words of this prayer. and Think about how Jonathan lived it out in this story. And ask yourself, is this a prayer that I can truthfully, honestly pray to God? Listen to these words. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. 
For now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am Thine. So be it. In the covenant we have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. It's a hard prayer to pray. I mean, it's easy if you're the one that's brought high, but it's hard if you're the one that's brought low. But the thing is, sometimes God calls you to be a David. Sometimes God calls you to be a Jonathan. You might be the friend who receives help. You might be the friend that's called to give everything. Unless God was in the midst of this friendship, there's no way it would have worked out. There's no way Jonathan, of his own accord, would turn down that amount of power voluntarily just so his buddy could be king. Unless God was leading him. Jonathan understood that unless God gave him the throne, that it wasn't his anyway. Unless Jesus is calling us to the thing that we want to do, all the determination and all the ambition in the world will not help. Jonathan teaches us that we have to follow the Spirit wherever it leads in our in-betweens, even if it leads us into the hard places. So my question for you today, is this covenant prayer something that you can pray in all honesty to God? Is this something you're willing to pray to God? Are you okay with God using you for good or for ill, no matter what it means for you? Man, it's a hard thing to pray. Are you willing to submit in loyalty and faithfulness to those that you are in covenant with, even if it costs you everything? Because in the long run, it's better to put ourselves aside and devote ourselves to God. When we're in the in-between, we look for what the Spirit of God is doing. And we join in with that Spirit, no matter where it takes us. We can trust that God will bless that kind of faithfulness. I think he's challenging us to go deeper today. To make that kind of choice like Jonathan made today. So our challenge today is if you feel like this covenant prayer is something that God is leading you toward. If you feel like God is leading you toward a deeper commitment. <coughs> I want to challenge you to bring that little paper up here to the altar with you and kneel down and pray to God. Let's be willing to put ourselves at God's disposal no matter what, like Jonathan did. Let's pray. Jesus, what a challenge. What a legacy. Jesus, I can't even imagine doing what Jonathan did. I can't imagine giving up that much power, that much wealth, that much, that much in order to follow your spirit. But you did what you called him to do. And God, we honor him for that. God, make me the kind of person who can pray this covenant prayer with no reservations. Use me however you want, God. 
and inspire all of us to do the same. In your name I pray. Amen.